do you struggle with your attention span? Like, do you start a project and then 10 seconds in, 30 seconds in, a minute in, you're like, you're almost bored and you want, you want to start something else or, or you chase, you know, rabbit holes or maybe like in your conversation, you're just like, man, I'm just going to start this. I want to talk about this thing. And then you end up talking about something totally random or, or different than what you started with, or you start projects and you don't finish them. Hey, welcome to the club. One of the things that I've started to do is listen to the Bible. So I read texts for sermons. I read texts, you know, in my daily devotion time. I read I read texts in my in my daily quiet reading, you know, that kind of thing. But there are moments that my brain just gets distracted. We can say, you know, the the enemy, Satan himself is distracting with all kinds of things. But there are things that we put in our own life that distract us. If you're trying to read the Bible and you got your phone in your hand or maybe you're reading the Bible app on your phone, and you get a notification, like it's going to throw you off. What I've started to do is I've, I'll read a text, and then I'll read the text as I'm listening to the same text being read. And I'm telling you what, if, if you haven't done this or if you don't do this, try it. Try it once and see if it changes the way you focus on the Word of God. Satan wants nothing more than to distract us from getting into God's Word, to applying it to our lives, to meditating on it, to, to marinating in it. Paul reminds the church in Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. God has given you his written word so that you may live your life according to it. Structuring your life, programming your life, prioritizing your life around God and who what the Bible says he is and who the Bible says we are. And it points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. You're listening to a local church podcast hosted by my dad, Pastor Ryan Markham. Be sure to leave a review and share this resource. Love God, love people, make disciples. Welcome back. Hey, today I want to look at our passage that we used this past Sunday, Judges chapter 2. We're going to peek a little bit into the book of Judges, and we see a clear example of the redemptive plan of God in this book. Uh, We've been looking at the redemptive plan of God throughout the Bible here at Mount Moriah Baptist Church. If you don't have a church that you belong to, if you don't have a church that you feel connected with, hey, give us a try. We're in the middle of Shelby County, Spencer County, Anderson County. Uh, You could check out www.mmbcky.org. For more information about our church, check us out online, MMBCKY on Instagram, MMBCKY on Twitter, and on Facebook. You can just Google search Mount Moriah Baptist Church, and you'll find us uh, in Mount Eden. Hey, the book of Judges. We see Israel's disobedience resulting in the discipline or judgment of God, and yet even in their sin, God doesn't abandon them. If you have breath in your lungs right now, if your heart is beating right now, God has not abandoned you. And so don't go through life thinking everything bad happens is, oh, God doesn't love me or God doesn't want me or God doesn't like me. The things that we go through in life are there so that we might reach out to our heavenly father. 
God shows up and he is merciful and gracious to his people. He demonstrates his unfailing love, his faithfulness to his word and to Israel, his chosen people. If you go back to Abraham, God promised, hey, I'm going to give you and your descendants the promised land, the land of Canaan. And God is faithful, and through Moses and through Joshua, the people have entered into the promised land, and yet they begin to look at the nations around them, at the world around them, and they say, eh, I don't know that we really want to follow God, but this stuff over here looks really, really enticing and really good. And so the book of Judges covers roughly about 350 years. It covers a time from Moses and Joshua It bridges them into the time of kings, a monarch, King David, uh, right? And so Judges is a a vitally important book in the Bible. And what I mention to our church often is that when we read the Bible, it's often as if we're like looking into a mirror. And so when we see the heroes of the faith, we're like, oh, yeah, I want to be that. Uh, We're not David. We're not Moses. We're not Joshua. But the promises of God are still true today. And so when we look at the Israelites and their sin and they do it over and over and over again, we almost have the question like, why do they keep messing up? Why do they keep doing this? But if we're honest with ourselves, if we're humble enough to come before our Heavenly Father and say, I'm just like that. And yet if you're still breathing and your heart's still beating, God hasn't abandon you. So Judges chapter 2, I want to start in verse 11 and read through verse 23. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And yet they did not listen to their judges. For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they take care to walk in the way of their Lord as their fathers did or not. 
So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. We see this cycle of sin in the book of Judges. It's a recurring pattern. It's described all throughout this book. Again, we have to remind ourselves that the pattern we see in Israel is often the same pattern we have today. Think about it this. If, if, you, if you keep getting stuck in this one sin, it's strong. It tempts you, and you're like, man, I'm weak, and I'm just going to go after it. And then once you've sinned, once you've done that thing that you know is wrong, you feel guilty, you feel shame, and you feel horrible. And then you turn back to God. God, forgive me of my sins. God, renew in my heart cleanliness and newness. Help me to be the man or woman you want me to be. And things go good for a while. But we treat that often as if like, man, I just got to do better. And I want to read my Bible every day. And I want to fast or I want to go to worship every time. I want to do better. The problem with that is, is we focus on ourself. Hey, I'm going to pray to God and, and thank him for my forgiveness. And then I'm going to try harder. And oftentimes we are so weak, we jump back into that same sin. It's almost like an addiction. And it's a pattern. The cycle that we see in our lives is the same cycle we see in Israel. The Israelites sin, they worship false gods, they disobey God's commands, and they run after false gods. Because of their sin, the consequence of their sin, God allows their enemies to conquer them and oppress them. Then the Israelites cry out to God for help. They repent. God, we are sorry that we have abandoned your ways, and they turn back for a moment. God raises up a judge or a deliverer, a savior, to rescue them. This judge delivers them, and there is a time of peace. But eventually, when the judge dies, this cycle starts back over again. In the Bible, this passage we just read says they're even more corrupt the next time and the next time. So I want to look at three things from this passage. Number one, the consequence or cycle of sin. Verse 11 starts out with, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Now, if you know anything about the book of Joshua, just before the book of Judges, it is an awesome time. Joshua leads the people into the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that God has promised Abraham many years before. They're moving into this land. They, they take Jericho. It's a cool story. You can look at the book of Joshua. The Israelites are told by God to march around the city of Jericho, and they have trumpets, and they're shouting, and then the last day, the walls fall down, and they overtake Jericho. And then you get to the book of Judges, and we see here in verse 11, Israel, the people of Israel, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It almost doesn't fit in what just happened in the book of Joshua. But I want to read verse 8, 9, and 10 of Judges chapter 2, just before the passage we read earlier. Verse 8 of Judges 2, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, in Timnath Harries, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. I want you to imagine a group of people who knew slavery in Egypt, 
They knew that God rescued them through Moses. God met with them, with Moses on Mount Sinai. They saw the lightning. They saw the thunder. They heard the commandments of God read. And in this next generation that die off with Joshua, they know nothing about what God has done or even who he is. God has warned his people from the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, do not forget who I am. Do not forget what I have done and pass it on to your children. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, is the Shema. Jewish people from Israel still recite this today. It sounds like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, the promised land that was sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to you, with great cities and uh, great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Skipping down to verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. And that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give you to your fathers by thrusting out your enemies before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. God had warned his people like, hey, follow my commandments, follow the rules, follow, follow all the, the design that I give to you so that it may go well with you when you enter into the land. And we see in our passage in Judges, that there's consequences to not following God, to, 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 to walking away from his design for them, for life. 
We live under the authority of a holy God who is just in all his ways, and he deals justly with sin. This first set of verses deals with the cycle of Israel's sin, of Israel's disobedience. And the people were quick to forget God's covenant, and they turned to the gods that he warned them about, the gods of the nations. It mentions two in particular in verse 13, Baals and Ashtaroth, the Ashtaroth. Baal was a Canaanite god. He was the, considered to be the god of weather. If the weather was good, my crops were good. If my crops are good, then my flocks are good. If both my crops and flocks are good, I've got wealth, right? And so he's the god of comfort, wealth, prosperity. And then the, the Ashtaroth were Canaanite goddess. And, and she, thought, uh, she was thought to be the goddess of love or fertility. The worship of this Ashtaroth was ritual sexuality and prostitution and the people of God were practicing these things. Comfort, wealth, prosperity, and sexuality. Does this sound familiar to our world today? The world will tell you how to be comfortable, how to be wealthy, how to live sexually, or even your sexual identity. Now, I, I want to pause here for a second because you might have the temptation to say, well, so that means comfort, wealth, and sexuality isn't good. They're, these things aren't good for even Christians. God has designed comfort. He's designed prosperity. He has designed our sexuality. They're good within God's design. It's when we chase after these things as if they were God that we mess up. Israel were bowing down to the gods of the nations, and they were worshiping them instead of God. Now here's the thing, here's the kicker. Comfort, prosperity, sexuality, these things are gifts from God if used by in, in His design. But if we worship these things instead of the one who gives the gifts, that is idolatry. And so this nation, the people of God, the very people of God, were now bowing down to these things instead of the one who gave life, instead of the one who brought them out of Egypt, instead of the one who gave them the promised land. And so one of the questions I asked during the sermon is have I turned from the goodness of God and chased after other things? Have I been convinced that the good gifts God has given me are to be worshipped more than God who is the gift giver? A simple thing to do in your life is think about the things you live for right now. Do you live in order to be comfortable? Do you live in order to be wealthy? Do you live in such a way that your sexuality is whatever and whenever it is or whatever it can be? Or do you live in the way that you worship God and you keep those things, the gifts, in perspective or, in, or do you use them or filter them through God's design? Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God 
by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. God warned his people over and over and over again. I am God. Follow me. I am God. Fear me. I am God. I'm a jealous God. I am God. And they run after these things of the nations. Later in the Bible, they will begin to turn from God even more and say, we no longer want God to be our king. We want our own king, just like the nations. And God has also warned them about that as well. But verse 14 of Judges chapter 2, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress when a nation, a people, or even when I turn from God and go my own way, when I worship other things instead of the one who gives the things, I will be in terrible distress. A people will be in terrible stress. The nation itself that turns from God will be in terrible distress. They will feel the discipline and judgment of God. We have to hear the bad news first. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's design, of God's glory, of God's holiness. But God doesn't leave a nation or a people or even myself or even you in a state of hopelessness. Do you see the God who disciplines is the very same God who pursues. God is just when he deals with sin, and yet God is the same God who pursues the sinner. The second point comes from the 16th verse of Judges chapter 2. God's faithfulness. Verse 16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. The discipline of God allowed the people of God to be plundered, taken over by these people. And the very same God who allowed this to happen, who disciplines his people, is the same God who now raises up judges to save them despite the disobedience of his people. God remains faithful to his word. Here's what I mean by this. When the people cry out for help, they repent. It's a turning from sin and turning back to God. God then raises up judges to deliver them from their oppressors. God's love and compassion for his people is evident throughout the passage. Even in the midst of their disobedience, it shows God's grace and God's mercy. God said to Abraham, I will make your descendants great. I will turn you into a great nation. He even promises that from the, from the line of Abraham comes David. From David comes Jesus. God does not abandon his people. He disciplines, and yet he still pursues. I can look at my own life, my own weaknesses, and yet God allows me to herald the good news in a pulpit to other sinful people. If there's life in your body, if there's a heart beating, if you have breath, there is hope. The people of God, they sin and they reject God. They experience the consequences of their sin and are pressed by the nations. They repent and then God, who is faithful, raises up individuals to deliver them or save them. They're called judges. When we think of judges, we think of a courtroom and a gavel, and we're like, uh, yeah, uh, here's the sentence that I'm going to hand down. Now, these individuals did 
uh, at times uh, they were in the political arena. The, they settled disputes, things like that. But the majority of the judges, the, the time of the judges, they were deliverers or saviors, small s. There were 12 judges in all. You might recognize a few names. You might have heard of the name of Gideon. Uh, there was one female judge, Deborah, and, and probably the most well-known of the judges, of the 12 judges, was Samson. You've heard the story of Samson and Delilah. It's in the Bible, the book of Judges. These individuals are not perfect, and yet God uses weakness, the imperfect, to show his perfectness, uh, perfectness, his, his holiness, his, his righteousness, his mercy, his grace. There's a powerful truth in this. 1 John 1, chapter 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When sin entraps you, when it snares you, and you get in that cycle of sin just as Israel did, the only way you or I can make it through the guilt and shame, the weight of the guilt and shame of sin, is to cry out to God, to turn from that sin and turn to a loving, gracious, merciful God who is faithful to his word. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Have you experienced the weight of sin? Have you confessed that sin to God? Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Israelites cry out to God because of the discipline of God, the oppression of the nations around them. Sin is like a snare. And unless you confess and cry out to God, it will consume you. In our weakness, God reveals his strength. In our humbleness, God reveals his mercy and grace. Romans 6.23, the wages, the penalty of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. David's son, the king to come, his son Solomon would later dedicate a temple to God. His presence, God's presence, would dwell with his people again as it did in their tabernacle. And then God speaks to Solomon and says this, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's a memory verse. Most people have heard bits and pieces of this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, turn back to God, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. The only hope your employer needs is Jesus Christ. The only hope your neighbor needs is Jesus Christ. The only hope that news channel that you watch, it's not in politicians. The only hope that they need is Jesus Christ. 
The only hope you need is not your tax return. It's Jesus Christ. Cry out to our Heavenly Father who is faithful to His Word and forgive the one who confesses their sin. It leads us to the third point, the need for a Savior. Verse 17 of Judges chapter 2, Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord has or was moved to pity by their groaning and because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Though God's goodness, his mercy, and love were shown in that he delivered his people from distress, they continued in this cycle of sin. Sin's downward spiral of despair and shame and guilt the weight of sin got worse and worse and worse. This section, this m moment in Scripture, points us to the need for a Savior, someone who could deliver the people from, of Israel from sin once and for all. You see, these little judges, they were temporary. There was temporary peace. There was temporary living the, the, the life that God had called them to live. When that judge died, they turned back and where they were more corrupt than the generation before. The need for a Savior once for all is evident. It is God's redemptive plan that there is one coming who's going to right all the wrongs. There is one coming who's going to defeat sin and death. We need a solution, a permanent solution to our sin problem. All of Scripture points to Jesus as the solution. In Genesis, he is the creator, the one who will crush the serpent, crush the devil. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He lived the life that we cannot live. In Leviticus, he is the perfect high priest who mediates on our behalf before a holy father. The Bible tells us that no man comes to the father except by Jesus in Numbers, he is the presence of God by cloud and by fire. In Joshua, he is the commander of the armies of the Lord. In the book of Judges, he is our true deliverer and savior who brings reconciliation between the sinner and a holy God, who brings forgiveness and salvation by his work on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead, and the glorious hope that he will return one day to make all things new. Every book of the Bible points us to Jesus, the ultimate solution to our sin problem. He alone lived according to the law of God. He was without sin. 
He alone provides the atonement for our sins on the cross, paying our sin debt. He alone rose from the dead, conquering both sin and death. He alone can save you from the bondage and the consequence or the cycle of sin. The question is, do you live your life as though you do not need a savior? Or do you live your life knowing your need for a savior? Are you tired of running to anything and everything to try to find forgiveness or the take the weight off of sin, the weight of sin off your back? Isaiah 53:6 All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him Jesus the iniquity of us all God has created you and I in such a way that we long to worship just as Israel did they worshiped the false gods they worshiped the things of God instead of God who gave the things we long to be in relationship and the only way we can fill this longing of worship and relationship is to turn from sin to repent and turn to God who has provided us a savior once for all we like Israel need to confess our sins to a holy father there are many podcasts many books many pastors that might tell you hey do better do better with your life make better choices Clean up your life. Clean up your act. And we've tried that before. It just doesn't work. I keep falling back into this sin or this addiction, this, this cycle of sin. Religion says do better and God might love you. Relationship with a holy father through faith in Jesus Christ says this. I've sinned. I've got to tell my father. He's merciful and he's gracious. And he will forgive all who will confess their sins to him. Once we turn back to God through faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to live in the bondage and slavery of sin. How do we do this? I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul is talking to the church and he says this, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming, the judgment of of God is coming, the, the discipline of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Quit thinking about the things of this earth as if they're going to satisfy your needs. Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. And God, who disciplines the sinner, also pursues the sinner. Have you turned to Jesus Christ today? If not, why not? 
do you keep falling and messing up and like, man, I'm just going to do better next time. Place your faith in what Jesus has already done. You do not have to earn it and you do not have to work for it. In fact, you cannot earn it. You cannot work good enough. All other religions in this world say if you do more good things than bad things, you just might make it to heaven. Christianity is the only religion that says Jesus Christ has done the work for you. God has come down the mountain because you can't earn your way to it. Place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ today. Hey, thanks for listening. Love God, love people, make disciples.